A thought popped up a few days back about words this loquacious program might lack. Amid all the info, the chatter and fluff, we might not say thank you nearly enough. So thanks for putting Spectrum West in your day whenever it fits. You know, an audience is a pretty important thing to a radio program. Without one, I could go home. But that means work. And as you can tell, I favor enjoyment over work. This is Spectrum West. I'm Al Ross, cascading into your day with news, views, and personalities engaged in the abundant arts, culture, and humanities of West Wisconsin. This week, it's time to talk more about the Eau Claire Jazz Festival just a couple weeks away. Then at the end of the month, the Eau Claire Mail Chorus will host the Big Sing, about which we have details this week. It's called Pride for a reason. Many reasons, actually. The dancers are proud, the mentors are proud, and we show our proud pride, there we go, in both groups as we support this special program for disabled young people. And speaking of gratification and self-respect, here's a good way to begin. The Stand in the Light Memory Choir is preparing its first live performance in quite a while, and director Kathy Wrights is excited for the opportunity. In a conversation earlier this week, we briefly touched on experience gained and then moved on to the road ahead. All right, well, we have to look back because there was a little thing called a pandemic that affected us oh my God. over the last couple of years. And since we're poking our heads out of the trenches a bit now, I am asking most of my guests to look back on how two years of interrupting life in the normal lane affected their organization. I do not, Kathy, profess to have memorized the book on dementia and cognitive disorder or decline, but it would seem to me that to keep things simple and orderly might be a requirement or at least a convenience in your line of work with the choir. And the pandemic threw up roadblocks and detours and potholes. Tell me how the choir had to adjust. And if there turned out to be some unforeseen rewards, tell me about those too. Well, here's how we adjusted. By July of 2020, we had virtual rehearsals. We would Zoom rehearsals. And we spent a lot of June preparing for them, going to people's houses and standing in their driveways going, this is how you do it on your computer. And we had this team of, I just call them the millennials, young 20-year-olds who completely stepped up to the plate. Recent college graduates who, again, due to the pandemic, were kind of left in a little bit of a limbo, and they jumped in and trained me, which was quite an experience. (laughs) And so we started virtual rehearsals, which I had been told was going to be impossible. People with dementia can't learn, and people with memory loss aren't going to stay focused. And as you know, sometimes um, when someone tells me I can't do something, Mm -hmm. it becomes imperative that it succeeds. (laughs) <laughs> so, yeah. And usually it does. Good and night. usually it does. Yeah, Good I'm pretty you. fortunate in that. Mm-hmm. But I had a great team of people uh, helping me. So we went virtual. My house became like a little recording studio. I learned how to navigate Zoom and my computer better than I ever thought I would. And the great thing was our choir grew. We not only could have maybe mom or dad who was in a facility in Eau Claire online Zooming, but their kids from all over the country could Zoom in. Mm-hmm. So it was really pretty amazing. The, the first rehearsal we had on Zoom, we realized there were 
married couples or families who hadn't seen their loved one since March of 2020. Everything was shut down. And all of a sudden we just realized like, oh my gosh, this was like a bonus that they could see their loved ones every week. And that was probably the coolest thing that came out of it. And you have carried on all of your new technical knowledge going forward. Everything seems like easy street now. Okay, well, I wouldn't quite say it's easy street. Mm, I I still have a lot of help. But when we went back to in-person rehearsals outside last fall, we were able to do a hybrid. And we still do hybrid now that we're inside. I have usually about 35 people in person and then another 10 to 15 online. Yeah, so it's pretty amazing. Before we get to details on your upcoming spring concert, the news last week about Bruce Willis has now increased the wattage on the spotlight that shines on memory loss in general. It's not the endorsement one hopes for, but people like you and Dr. Tom Sather at UW-Eau Claire and the Zorns, Cecilia and Wayne, who have been communicating about aphasia for some time now, your cause hops on a bigger stage now, so more and more people will come to understand because of this kind of publicity. I'm willing to bet the Google search for the word aphasia went through the roof last week. Um, Oh, my gosh. Again, it's unfortunate news, yes, but it'll help the overall awareness of things. Right. And and for us, Cecilia and Wayne have been amazing ambassadors for Mm -hmm. this choir. But, you know, people like to draw a line. Oh, that's aphasia. That's memory loss. They're hand in hand. There's so many crossovers to have, again, yeah, someone in the public eye, so to speak. I think it is going to be a a good thing. It will give the choir another step forward of come join us. We can help you through this very strange time of your life. And it helps that Willis and his loved ones are out front and honest about it. Right. That's, That's basically, tell me if I'm right, but that's a big step for people. Oh, that's huge. Yeah. That's huge. And one thing I've learned, this is the end of our sixth year. It's really just all about um, understanding this doesn't have to be hidden. Embrace it. We will embrace you. And the community embraces us. And we just keep moving forward. Yeah. That's the voice of Kathy Wrights. And our topic, we're getting to it shortly, Stand in the Light Memory Choir's Spring Concert, coming up on April 21st. It's sneaking up on us, folks. So it looks like, here's one thing I like, looks like you guys consider the start of spring the 6th of January. And I like that because I I think I'm going to adopt that mindset from now on. January 6th is the beginning. Don't give me the groundhogs. Don't give me all that stuff. January 6th is when spring starts. Thank you for giving me that new outlook on life. The theme this year has been I Will Sing, and you have sung, haven't you? Yeah, and we really picked that because... Again, I think a lot of people are just kind of starting to come out of this pandemic and realizing some things are not going to be the same and some things hopefully will be better. But there are some things we kept doing and we kept singing. Mm -hmm. We just kept singing. It sounds corny, but (laughs) every week we just still got together and we sang and I'd be in my, you know, living room and Zooming and people would, would join in. I mean, we'd have 45, 50 people on a Zoom call. From all over the world, it ended up, actually, we had a daughter from England join us. Mm. Yeah, so it was amazing. I will sing now. Yes, I will sing. That's a strong three words. 
That's right. I say that every time I enter the shower. <laughs> <laughs> and I do it. You're rapidly approaching your spring performance. Give us the details. Is it a totally in-person thing? Where is it? Uh, what time is it? I could do that, but I'd rather hear it from you. All right. Well, it is April 21st, as you mentioned. Uh, the concert is in person. It's at 630 at Lutheran Church of the Good Shepherd. Masks will be optional. And we are asking that you call ahead and reserve tickets. Okay. And you can uh, call at this number, 715-210-4165. The tickets are free, but because we're not really sure, like, how many people are going to come, We'd like to have an idea okay. to make sure everybody has a place to sit. Good. The other great thing we're doing is we're opening up our 10 o'clock dress rehearsal that morning, April 21st, for people who maybe don't want to drive at night or aren't ready to leave the house after supper. They can come and watch us, and again, free in our final dress rehearsal. That's a good idea. I like that. And so what is the audience going to hear? Well, this is great. We, <laughs> As always, we have a great lineup. We learned a ton of new music. Our theme is actually one of the songs we're singing, I Will Sing. And then we're also doing an old favorite called How Can I Keep From Singing, a little High Hopes, so we're getting in some of the 40s music. We do a great version of, it's called Baseball Fever, wow. which is all about baseball. And oh, we're doing a couple songs by Jerry Way, so that's cool. The arts are all around us, and this is so cool. We had members of the choir send us pictures of different things that they have done over the years that are artistic, uh, gardening, woodworking, you name it. And oh my gosh, the talent in this choir beyond just being an awesome choir. So we're going to be showing pictures of all of these arts that we do. And then another great song by Jerry Way that we're doing is called Community. I think that's a, another thing that we really learned. Even Zooming, we had a community. I, I always took that for granted in my choirs. Well, we are a community, of course. But when you had to kind of work at it, you realized just how valuable that was. True. And the word unity is in community. Yes. So those are some of the highlights. And to read more, I suggest people go to standinthelightmemorychoir.org. It's a long name, but it gets you there. <laughs> That's all that matters, right? Right. This year, for the first time, we have two concerts after our spring concert. So May 23rd, we're singing at the Pablo Center with the um, Nordic Choir from Luther College. And then June 7th, we're singing at the uh, Academy for Lifelong Learners, which used to be called Senior Americans Day. Mm -hmm. We're there closing music. So it's really exciting. We took this time to become more of a community. You know what I see? I see... <laughs> A stand-in-the-light memory choir bus for going I, to these oh, concerts. That so, would be awesome. Yes. Yeah, I think we'll have to figure out a way to get that uh, done. Like, I, I love that idea. Yeah. Arrive together and leave together. And okay. Mostly, I'm excited for April 21st when we'll have our first live audience in two and a half years. Mm -hmm. Do the faces light up when, when there's a crowd in front of them? Oh, my gosh, yes. Thank you so much. Keep up the great work. We look forward to the 21st and those other concerts that you have coming up. Thanks for being with us on Spectrum West and Wisconsin Public Radio. Thank you so much. What color do you want the bus to be? Um, I would like the bus to be purple because that's our color. Okay, see, now you put this in my head. Hmm. You know, our logo is that beautiful, like it's got the little swirly uh, yes. treble clef. 
Stand in like memory choir where words fail, music speaks. I mean, picture that on a bus. That'd be pretty awesome. That would be, will be. It will be. I like that. Thank you so much. All right. Again, the number to call to reserve your free attendance at their joyous uh, 21st of April event is 715-210-4165. Coming up, the annual jazz celebration. Hundreds of singing voices descend on the area. And next, a perfect answer. Be a dancer. Spectrum West on Wisconsin Public Radio. Good to have you along. When I received the release from UW-Eau Claire, I dove in and automatically knew I had to share the good news with you. We need to hear about good things going on, don't we? There's a new dance program for young people with disabilities. It's been created and supported by UWEC kinesiology students and faculty. The pilot program includes a dozen participants, and after seven weeks of encounters, the free program is preparing to show off their dancers in a recital. I warn you, be prepared to be moved by the idea and by the passion of those making it happen. My guests are Bailey Olala, a Blue Gold Junior who started the ball rolling, and faculty advisor, Dr. Tara Putnam. Kinesiology is the study of the body's movement. Specialists use their knowledge of human physiology and movement to help patients recover mobility and improve their lives through exercise. In my search, the most interesting headline about that science was a question. What can I do with a kinesiology degree? And I thought, what a good question for Bailey. So we're going to break the ice with you. I did notice there were a bunch of vocations that people can go into. Athletic trainer, exercise physiologist, fitness instructor, sports medicine physician, occupational therapist, orthopedic surgeon, personal trainer, and physical therapist. So Bailey, you're nearly there. What do you want to be when you grow up? Yes. So I'm currently in the rehabilitation science program, which is kind of geared towards pre-occupational therapy, pre-physical therapy. And then we also have a few pre-chiropractic and pre-physician assistant. Mm -hmm. But in the recent year, I've actually decided that I'm not going to go the clinician route and I'm going towards the advocational route. So more so disability studies, disability advocacy, After I graduate here from the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire, Mm -hmm. I'm going to work, um, probably find some sort of state or local job, do ADA regulations, um, kind of that local policy aspect, and then eventually go and get my PhD in disability studies or a very similar area. Did your uh, participation um, in this dance program help you change course a little bit? Yeah, I would say so. I'm also working on research as well on campus on um, the experience of individuals with disabilities. And I think that research aspect is kind of what has geared me towards that PhD and then just experiences working with individuals with disabilities on a, on a wider range uh-huh. has kind of allowed me to hone in where I want to go. I like to get to know guests. Thank you for bearing with me on, on that part. And we're talking about the Pride Dance Program, and it was cool for me to read about that over the weekend. And I had to uh, conclude that it must be my old age, but uh, I, I become emotional when witnessing uh, human beings experiencing uh, physical difficulty, especially children. I'm a big advocate of Special Olympics, and I know they're not interested in my pity. They simply don't need that. A strong will is is one of their proudest possessions. Tara, in getting to know you a little bit, let's talk about emotion. Tell me if it's okay to feel that way. 
if you're involved in the things that uh, Bailey and her friends are getting into. And, and next, then comment on, on the willpower and the determination you're witnessing. Where does emotion fit in? Yeah, you know, I really think emotion is actually the center of the entire process. I, myself, and Bailey included, we're both very empathetic individuals. Um, and I think that those um, that do choose to work with populations um, like individuals with disabilities or just underserved populations in general is you really do have that empathy. You really do want to help. And I think having emotion um, is what actually makes us stronger. Mm. And it really does drive that determination and it drives that advocacy piece, as Bailey stated, in regards to um, the want and the desire to get the best for every individual, sure. no matter what their ability is um, in that context. Mm -hmm. And I and I can tell you, um, I personally have cried every single night of the Dance Pride program. There's been a lot of tears, but they're tears of joy, um, tears of happiness, and just tears of success to watch these kids from night one to where we are now, because we're approaching um, the recital in a couple weeks and we have our dress rehearsal next week and thinking about it just gives me goosebumps mm. because they have just come come so far in this program and, and Bailey is the reason for it. I'm very thankful for her determination and her ambition to make this program a reality. I meant to ask about, uh, you know, the education process and how educators like you address emotion and empathy as an ingredient in their students. It sounds as if it's being encouraged if it's happening. Absolutely. I have the pleasure of working with physical education pre-teachers, and I also have my special ed credentials, so I have my adapted background as well. And with that being said, you know, I tell my teachers all the time, it's okay to show emotion. It's okay to be human. It's totally okay to show, you know, your students things might make you happy and you react this way, but it might make you sad. Mm. And that's okay, too, because in all honesty, you know, you are making an impact in a student's life, whether you know it or not. And that impact can last a lifetime. Sure. So being able to show them the real version of yourself makes you a very effective educator in that sense. So, Bailey, uh, congratulations on getting this rolling. I think, if I read correctly, you modeled this idea after something in or around your hometown. Yes, that is correct. I was a volunteer in my program back home. I started ninth grade, so I was 15. Uh -huh. I was a high school volunteer for a nonprofit program very similar to what we have going on here with Pride Dance. I found that I was my best self in that program, and I wanted to find something very similar here. I could recognize that that wasn't something that was being offered, and so I went around um, to various dance studios, and then I connected with Dr. Marquel Johnson, and I worked with him, making it a portion of his existing Pride program. So tell me about your perspective on things now that it's been up and running versus uh, what you imagined beforehand. Did it turn out better than you would hoped? I think I would say yes. Okay. Yeah. No. I I feel extremely privileged and excited and it's a very surreal experience I would say having it in front of me now. Things I've been working on and kind of plotting in my head finally here, being able to see all these kids' faces and the undergraduate students working together, and I'm beyond excited to see these kids on the stage. And like Dr. Putnam had mentioned, these kids from day one to now is just incredible. They have blossomed in their confidence, and I think that's the most exciting part of this program, watching these kids kind of walk in very timid and, and shy and not sure where to begin and, and how to interact with one another, and now seeing them... Um, just excited to be there and 
confident in being able to walk on the stage next week for rehearsal and sharing with their peers and their parents. It's, it's just a really incredible experience for not only me, but also for these kids and these undergraduate volunteers. What, what is the age range for the young people who are going to be uh, in the program? Our youngest is six. We have a couple six-year-olds, and then our oldest is 16. A wide range. That's Bailey Olala. She is uh, a junior at UW-Eau Claire, majoring in, now she told me she's changing things, so I might screw this up, kinesiology slash rehabilitation science. Is that still the way it is? Yes. The rehab science program is within the kinesiology major. We have three uh, separate okay. little departments within KINS. Well, we got your name right. Yes. (laughs) Also on the call, Dr. Tara Putnam, Assistant Professor of Kinesiology at UW-Eau Claire and Faculty Advisor for Pride Dance, the wonderful program that we've been talking about. I've done a bunch of chats with people involved in music and how people with cognitive disorders can uh, relate via music because it's intrinsic. It has a a way of finding the surface, actually very amazing to witness. How about um, physical disability, movement and uh, expression by movement? Is that also something that finds the surface or at least works to find the surface? I actually have the pleasure of teaching the dance class for my physical education majors um, within the department. And one thing that we talk about a lot, and I've kind of phrased in regards to confidence, um, so having that confidence in the movement. Mm. But I also say that movement is innate and it is inside of all of us. And when we hear music, we are just naturally willing to move. As you stated, music is um, very intrinsic and it also brings out different emotions in everyone. So, you know, depending on what kind of day you're having, a song could make or break or completely change it. And that movement is no different. And every time I've played music um, with any individual, the creativity is just beautiful to see how, you know, people move based on what their emotions and their feelings are in response to either the music or the movement itself. Bailey, I asked you a before and after question relating to your experience. How about before and after for the young kids that you work with? What kind of evolution have you seen? Like Dr. Putnam said, I would say like the confidence. I like that word. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I would say the first day all these kids and volunteers as well, I think, walked in very shy to put themselves out there. I mean, it's not an easy thing to do, um, just start dancing. And I think that's one thing about this program that we often encourage is it's okay to look silly and it's okay to make mistakes. I mean, many of these volunteers have no dance experience and I don't believe any of these kids have had the opportunity to um, be a part of a dance class up until this point. And so watching them evolve from being shy to begin dancing even um, to now where where they encourage each other, cheer each other on, and they're excited to be there. And they go out in the hallway and they show their moms and dads their turns and what they've learned this week. And mm-hmm. I think seeing that in itself has been really amazing. And And at no point have I expected any of these kids or these volunteers to make the dance perfect for the recital. I think it's about the relationships that are formed. You must feel awfully good because I, in the release from the university, read some of the comments from the parents. They're more than happy and blown away. Yeah, they're very excited. Getting to know these parents as well has been an incredible experience. They have all shared their thoughts and feelings about kind of what's offered in the community currently and in in the surrounding area for individuals with disabilities. And so for us to be able to 
provide this program has been a really rewarding experience, but also I think can be used moving forward for other individuals and businesses. It should be um, something to kind of model and continue doing. You have a whole bunch of friends and volunteers to thank, don't you? Yes, I definitely have a huge shout out and thanks to all of my undergraduate volunteers. They came in full force and I'm so beyond thankful for them and proud of them for how they've handled this program and the parents. Handing off kids to a 21-year-old probably isn't the most comfortable thing in the world all the time. Um, Not only one 21-year-old, but a group of us. They were able to trust me with our kids, as well as a big thanks to Dr. Putnam and Dr. Johnson for trusting me with this program and assisting me in the ways that I've needed and it allowed me to take this leadership role and something that I will take with me as I grow professionally. A huge, huge thanks to the Pablo Center at the Confluence, not only our rehearsal space that we use weekly for two hours, but also the RCU Theater at Pablo, which is a 1,200-seat theater yeah. um, that these kids will be performing in, a, a Broadway-level theater and dressing room and they are allowing us to provide these kids the full yeah. on-stage and off-stage experience, which I think is super cool. Super cool. Tara, you're the educator. Um, th- this kind of experience must be a classroom on steroids for college kids. It's got to be priceless <laughs> stuff. It absolutely is. I don't want this program to go away when Bailey graduates. I don't want Bailey to ever leave at all, (laughs) but she's going to have to move on at some point. But our area is not really equipped to accommodate all these programs for individuals with disabilities. So every program we have is just as special as another. It really does need to continue. Plus, it is an amazing partnership with the community, the Pablo Center, the university, all utilizing our resources and supporting each other, which is a beautiful experience and exactly how it should be. Bailey, you are proving to our audience that we have nothing to worry about when it comes to the next generation. Tara, you're an educator, you're a teacher. That's enough said. Thank you both for being with us here on Wisconsin Public Radio, and we look forward to telling our audiences more about uh, this kind of wonderful work that you guys are doing. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for having us. The April 18th recital tickets are for sale under the Events and Tickets tab in the Pablo Center Events section at pablocenter.org. This is Spectrum West. I'm Al Ross. Good to be with you. Hey, it's National Library Week, so be sure to check out your local library for some very special events. They have a lot of them planned. The Eau Claire Mail Chorus has a long history. It's helped them endure all the natural speed bumps that can come along in the more than seven decades of theirs. One of the most challenging was, of course, our pandemic. But here we are in the spring of 2022, and here they are getting ready to present The Big Sing. Not as if nothing happened, but like all other marvelous vocal groups you can find around here, it's simply a matter of this is what we do. I spoke with member Bob Weirman a few days ago. We must not have talked about it before because I find the history of the Eau Claire Mail Chorus very impressive, and had we discussed it in the past, uh, a bit of it might have worn off by now. You know, it's still pretty big for me. The Mail Chorus is older than I am, and that's something right there. Well, that's uh, saying something, I think. 1946. Long line of 11 different directors, the latest being David Fair, and, and while we're on the topic of history, and since you're the guy with the nerve to come on the radio, your history with the chorus. How long you been with them, and I'm guessing that you're a bass. 
I'm a bass, and uh, I think I started in uh, 1998, the year of a big thing, actually, in Marshall, Minnesota. I recall driving to Marshall with my wife, Ginger, and listening to rehearsal tapes of all of the music that I had neglected to memorize. But uh, things turned out pretty well, and it was a great experience. I knew you when you came to Eau Claire back in the 90s. If I say last century, it sounds a lot longer, so I'll just uh, <laughs> I'll just say in yeah. the 90s. When you arrived, were you always a singer? Were you a hobby crooner, or were you in other organizations? Uh, I've sung in choruses pretty much uh, since my mother shoved me into the uh, children's choir back in Waldo, Wisconsin, many, many years ago, and mm-hmm. uh, I sang in the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee Choir, and uh, when I lived in Illinois, I sang in a group called the Orpheus Club. A lot of our guys have sung in various choirs and so forth over the years, and I think that's one of the reasons that uh, we've been around for 75-plus years now. We've had a good run, as you've said, and um uh, challenges have presented themselves along the way, not the least of which was this COVID thing that Mm -hmm. uh, we've all experienced. I've got Kathy Wrights on this week's show, too. She was reminiscing about all that the uh, Stand in the Light Memory Choir has learned in the last couple of years. They've done wonderful work persisting and forging ahead. Uh, Kathy, by the way, is going to be participating as one of our adjudicators at the end of April, and she and a couple of other local choir directors offering uh, comments and suggestions to some of our individual choir performances oh, wow. that uh, take place on Friday night before they quote Big Sing, which is Saturday, of course. little connection between a couple yeah. of our guests on this week's show. See, I didn't even plan that. I must be living right. <laughs> yes, you are. You mentioned uh, singing in college. I'm going to bring this up only because uh, I want people to realize how much research I do into these things. It's amazing how one can open a can of worms with curiosity about just one term, glee club. And I, I did not know that a glee is a respectable and artistic form of the English part song. You know, I just thought glee was people just got together to sing right. and they were happy. Being happy. Yeah, yeah. but it's, yeah. More, it's, it's more than that. A form of an English part song. And then I said, what's a part song? And I looked that up, and a part song is simply a song with different parts, which makes sense. Performed traditionally, here's the official uh, definition, by an SATB choir. And I said, well, what the heck's an SATB choir? I know that one. Yeah, well, I didn't. SATB stands for soprano, alto, tenor, and bass. Correct. And it was there that I stopped because I was getting information overload. So we all have to learn at least one thing every day, Al. Yes. That was your thing. Okay. Bob Weirman on the phone with us, Eau Claire Mail Chorus. The Big Sing is Saturday, April 30th. The beautiful Pablo Center will be welcoming people from four states, hundreds of singers. Other than knowing how and liking to sing, Bob, what does it take to be a member of the Mail Chorus? What what kind of a time kind commitment a, does well, it not, take? Not a whole lot. Uh, we, we don't audition, but we uh, ask you to come to rehearsal uh, as many as possible every Tuesday night during the season, which is September through the end of April, typically. We do two concerts, least organized uh, public concerts, one uh, around uh, early December and then the other sometime in the spring. And this year, our spring concert is, uh, in fact, uh, the Big Sing, which invites singers from other similar choruses who are members of the Associated Male Choruses of America who really put on the event. We uh, bid for it and uh, and host it, and we did so the last time in uh, 2013. We had hoped to do it in 2020, but a lot of things happened that shut everybody down, as we all know. Mm-hmm. We uh, 
first said let's do it in 21 and that didn't really look like it was going to work either so 2022 became our next shot at it and as of right now at least things are uh, coming together nicely though uh, we'll have somewhat decreased numbers from our usual because there are still folks who aren't traveling or are uh, still concerned about various health issues and so forth and Mm -hmm. that's certainly understandable but uh, we felt we needed to make it happen so we're looking forward to being in that performance venue, Pablo Center. It's really the first time we've had a chance to do a big sing in Eau Claire in a real theater. We've uh, always had them at uh, Zorn Arena in the past, which is a a great spot, but it's not really designed for concerts. No. Uh, We'll have a good stage, a good acoustics, and hopefully a good sound. So the Associated Male Choruses of America sounds like it's uh, a national deal. No, we're we're really pretty much a Midwestern organization. Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan, North Dakota are primary states that have member choruses uh, at this time. We're certainly not as large as we used to be. I think different choruses have focused more on their own communities, but um, the AMC of A is still pushing forward with efforts to get together for big things. And actually, we have a new choir uh, joining us this year, which we haven't had a new member for a while, and that's the McDowell Men's Chorus out of Appleton. It's our first new member in a while, and look forward to having them. Yeah, that's good to hear. Things may be smaller, but it's still big. It is still big. I think we have 12 choruses participating. Among the 12 choruses is the UW-Eau Claire Singing Statesman. We consider them as associate members uh, male Choruses of America. These guys have a lot of energy and good voices. Uh, uh, more mature singers will have an opportunity to blend in with these uh, fresh voices. And hopefully they'll see that this is a tradition that can carry forward in their own lives as uh, male yeah. singers over the years. Sure. Kind of like Bob Weirman did when he was a young guy. Something like that. <laughs> I also see the Chippewa Valley Boys Choir listed. Yes, yeah, kind of a fledgling group directed by a member of our male chorus. He's been uh, hanging in there with them and uh, working with them for several years now. They'll be singing three numbers, two or three numbers, I think, at the opening of the second half, and we've been having them as guests for our male chorus concerts for a couple of years. They're always a real favorite of the crowd because, of course, who doesn't like to see boys between the age of, you know, 7 and 12 cut up in front of, uh, you know, a big audience. They work hard. So now, the details. We know the who, and uh, we now know the why. Let's uh, get the when, the where, and the how. The when is uh, Saturday evening, April 30, and the concert will start at 7 with the doors of the Pablo opening for uh, any last-minute tickets and Mm -hmm. uh, refreshment purchases and gathering uh, at about 5.30. The uh, concert will start at 7. The tickets will be available at the box office at the Pablo that night, of course, but uh, also prior to that online at uh, pablocenter.org. And it's a pretty easy process. Mm-hmm. Uh, even I can do it. Uh, <laughs> good chance to get to the Pablo at a reasonable cost and have a, a great night of uh, music. You know, the sound of that many men singing together has, has kind of a unique uh, yeah. character to it. It's very rich, uh, very full. Something to remember, we think. Yeah. The Eau Claire Male Chorus Facebook page is also a fun place to visit. I was there over the weekend. Uh, how about, Bob, men in the audience? Do you need or accept new members at all times? We are always welcoming new singers and uh, people who are interested in singing, and uh, we hope that uh, 
maybe we'll snag a few as a result of this concert. We have new people trying us out all the time, and then we have people who come back after having uh, pursued other things, and things change, and they can come back and sing with us. We're running at about uh, 27 to 30 right now. When we started up again, we were at 15, and now we're almost at 30. You know, little by little, we're clawing our way back to getting our singers involved and looking forward to having a full complement by the end of this year. So. Wonderful. Thanks for all the information, Bob. It's uh, it's definitely big, the big sing, Saturday, April 30th, Pablo Center. Bob Weirman, our guest and uh, a member of the Eau Claire Mail Chorus. They're hosting. Is it an annual uh, it's held in one of our district sites typically every year. Okay. Next year we'll be out in uh, Jamestown, North Dakota, and I think we'll be in Appleton, Wisconsin in 2024. Good. So that's our current lineup. Okay. Al, I thank you very much for uh, including the male chorus in your show and yeah. uh, I encourage people to consider coming out for this event. It's a special thing for the uh, Eau Claire area and one that isn't happening uh, with any great frequency. So mm-hmm. we hope people will take advantage of it. And thanks again for having us on. You took the words right out of my mouth. Thanks, Bob. Take care, Al. Thank you for being with us on this episode of Spectrum West. You know it must be spring because right on cue, helping to mitigate the allergens, there is jazz in the air. And soon it'll be drifting literally over downtown Eau Claire on Friday night of the two-day, highly anticipated 56th Annual Eau Claire Jazz Festival. I'm excited, you're excited, and let's get everything we need to know from Executive Director Quentin Volk. Putting on a festival's got to feel good because there was no festival in 2020 and last year's was a virtual event. This year, restrictions are mostly gone. Masks are still encouraged, I see, at Pablo Center, and that's a good thing. Let's reminisce, Quentin, uh, maybe a bit painfully, but mostly from a lessons learned perspective. Talk a bit about what things are stronger now and everything through your eyes as the director. And there's kind of two elements to the festival I've, I've learned, and, it, and it's how the organization has developed. There's a community element, and then there's the educational element. And both, over the last two years, struggled in their own way. And it was hard to see. Part of my job is to stay intimately aware of how the festival in its entirety can help those two elements. Through these last two years, you know, being on the phone all the time with uh, community members and Band directors is hearing what their new struggles and trials and tribulations were, learning, yeah, without the festival, I'm sure that element of yours has been tough. So, for instance, for the community folks, the amount of people over the last two years, they see me at the grocery store, they talk to me, blah, 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 and they say how much they've missed the jazz festival after a while, it started getting to me because I realized the jazz festival is great, but it doesn't have much to do with it. It has something to do with it gives the community something to identify with sure. and gives them hope and be proud of the community they're in. There is not another town that I know of. On Friday night, they take over 15 plus venues <laughs> and produce a night that we like to produce. Of course, the big ones, New Orleans, New York City, that kind of stuff. But yeah. in a, quote, tiny town like Eau Claire, and we can produce that show's how proud and how special the community is and not having that opportunity, it was hard to see. And then on the educational element, the Oakland Jazz Festival educationally is kind of one of the largest, well, it is one of the larger 
festivals in the country and not being able to provide them with any educational resources was really difficult. And that's why even though financially we weren't making anything holding a virtual festival, we wanted to do that because we wanted to give the band directors something. One way we did that is we pre-recorded masterclasses or clinics and we put them onto YouTube and then we gave band directors access to those videos so they could access at any time in any place. And the amount of band directors that called in near tears saying, thank you, uh, just kind of showed how truly uh, vital the different elements of this festival provides and, and some elements being more important to mm-hmm. some people than others. And all these people who are looking to participate, they now appreciate your flexibility. You're, you're a big festival in a small town, but you, you're able to come up with uh, all the things and even more pleasant surprises that people may not expect of you. And that is why the Eau Claire Jazz Festival has been going on for 56 years. And, and that's also why it's, uh, it's revered as much as it is. I was actually on your website over the weekend having a good time, swimming around in all the stuff that you have there. I was looking at guest artists all the way back to uh, 67 when everything started. You had a big 20th anniversary festival in 87, not you personally. Last year would have been the 55th come 2026. You're going to be 60. That's pretty cool. And you just touched on the educational aspect, which is huge, huge, huge. Schools come from far and wide. How many uh, are back this year? Are people clamoring to get back? Oh, gosh. Schools are hungry. Again, part of my job is I try to have a personal relationship with as many band directors as possible. Mm -hmm. And each of them... School district to school district, they have their own unique set of COVID protocols and their own type of cultural rules when it comes to this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it is no surprise that as this year went on and things started to open up, they're still a bit shell-shocked festival-wide. So, uh, you know, there's a community of festival directors, and we all kind of talk to each other. University of Minnesota, Jazz Festival, there's one down at Lawrence University, and we all kind of look at each other, and we see what we can do together in tandem to better provide an educational opportunity. And it was common as of right now that a lot of those festivals that have come and passed over the last month and a half, they saw about 60% of their typical Mm. attendance. We're still coming out of this, and there's a lot of schools. There's a few things. You know, there's some band directors, boy, we're still getting our feet under us again. And I don't think we can come this year to other schools that have called me and said, yeah, we're not allowed to go on a bus. There's a bunch of things, but we are very happy to say that we're experiencing closer to 80% of our regular attendance this year. Our intern team, they took a huge passion into personally calling band directors over the last three months Mm -hmm. and saying, hey, I want you to know we're doing the festival again. What do you need from us for you to be able to come? I think that personal relationship thing really spoke wonders because, again, the festival, the educationally and community focused, we're not doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for all of you. Sure. And uh, so it spoke a lot for the intern team to go ahead and do that and call all those folks. And that's why I think we're seeing a good surge of excitement and registrations this year. The concern on the part of band directors is very understandable. They're responsible for lots of young people. They have to err on the side of caution. We're on the phone with Quentin Volk. He's executive director of Eau Claire Jazz, Inc. We're talking about the 56th Eau Claire Jazz Festival coming up Friday and Saturday, the 22nd and the 23rd of this month. Tell me about the things that students do when they're here. I was looking at uh, all the categories on your website. There's a thing called student sessions. Are those uh, those the competition part? 
That is, you know, we'll always have the competitive elements of the festival. A lot of schools enjoy doing that, but we really try to bolster our non-competitive atmosphere, okay. which is why we have two days, Friday and Saturday. Friday is for colleges and middle schools and high school non-competitive, and Saturday is high school competitive. We'll always have that element that's competitive, but we really try to bolster the community over competition aspect of it because mm-hmm. there's a lot of smaller school districts that have maybe a newer or a smaller band. We want them to feel comfortable coming out and having a positive experience at the festival because the competition thing is just a small portion of what we can offer. So we've really been pushing, come on out. You can still have your student session and then boy, look at all these master classes you can go to. But the student sessions, you when you show up, you register and all that, and then you perform for a panel of world-class adjudicators. Right. And then after your performance, you get adjudicated. And then if you're in the competitive category, then you go do a graded site reading. Mm. And then we compile all those scores and points behind the scenes. And at 4.30, we have this huge bash award ceremony. We have like a Tonight Show band behind us. And we walk <laughs> out and there's a spotlight and big drum roll and we announce the winning bands and the second place bands and third place bands that's very special for them and then on top of that to make it even more special on friday night the winning college big band and the winning college combo get to then hop on stage with jazz one at the main stage concert series at pablo center huge deal and then on saturday that same thing applies but instead it's for what we call a double a b c and D high school mm-hmm. bands. All that means is just as different sized high schools and they get to hop on stage and play with jazz one and the guest artists. And uh, boy, thinking back to when I was in high school, if I had that opportunity, <laughs> that is life changing. Do students have to sign up for master classes or are they open to anybody who wants to just walk open in? Open to anyone and everyone, okay. including the public. Okay. Part of our goal is to provide uh, enough master classes that cover really the interest of each and every person. So it's not just kind of the same topics. We have everything from um, Kenny Holman, who plays tenor saxophone with uh, Corey Wong, also known as one of the lead people in a group called Hornheads, which played with Prince for decades. Yes, He is one of the most revered saxophone players playing right now. We have him coming out to do a master class, and he can capture the interest of each and every person. We have Berkeley professors giving a topic on how to empower women in the music industry. We have top-of-the-line musicians coming out to do a master class on the ins and outs of how to play your instrument at a very high level. Just a simple class topic like that is really hard to find if we're dedicated to doing that. So yeah, capturing interest of each and every person. And then on top of that, the big one, Friday and Saturday, our guest artists, they also do a master class. Oh, wow. You can literally go see Diane Schur, kind of considered one of the innovators of vocal jazz, give a master class, which is un- Unbelievable. Yikes. Whatever they do while they're here, young people, high school or college, they continue to learn. The two community entertainment-focused elements of the festival are the Jazz Crawl and the Concert Series. The Concert Series is at Pablo Center both Friday and Saturday night starting at 7.30. Yep. Pretty much identical concerts. Jazz One and the both guest artists, Diane Schur and Donnie McCaslin. A part of our goal is to bring in world-class musicians that would typically not come into a town of the size of Eau Claire. And then on Friday night, the jazz crawl. Go sit down and listen to a group, and then there is a required set break venue-wide 
from quarter till to the top of the hour, every oh. hour. And the idea is that that separate, get up and go to a different venue and thus hear a different band. Sure. And there will be up to 13, I believe, venues playing live music at the same time. This year, another special thing we did is we're going to do an outdoor stage at Haymarket Plaza. Friday and Saturday, April 22nd and 23rd, the 56th Eau Claire Jazz Festival. Eau Claire Jazz Inc., of course, is a, a living, breathing, 365-day-a-year animal, and it needs sustenance to survive. People can become sponsors and donate so that when things like the Jazz Festival come along, they feel like they're part of the family multiple tiers, how someone can be involved. We couldn't do a second of any of this if we didn't have the partnerships with the community, the university, and the, the city of Eau Claire. So we are forever grateful for everyone passionate about the festival becoming a becoming a legitimate thing. Quentin Volk, you and all your buddies doing great work and uh, getting the jazz festival back up and running. We're going to be there. Thank you very much, Al. Wow. The Eau Claire Jazz Festival. Everybody's excited that it's back. Here's a couple of memos for you. Saturday night, the Sue Orfield Band takes the stage at the Widespot Performing Arts Center in Stockholm. Showtime is 7 o'clock. Tickets online at widespot.org and at the door. What else? The spring concert of the UW Barron County, uh, UW Eau Claire Barron County. There you are. Community Band will be Tuesday, April 19th at 7 p.m. in the Fine Arts Theater on the Rice Lake Campus. Admission is by free will donation in support of the music department. From the album, Deedles. There you go. Next week, no show. We're taking the week off, but we'll be back on April 21st. In the meantime, keep in touch via Spectrum West at WPR.org. Thanks to Rick and Kate for exposure. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Let's go home with Diane Scherr. The very thought of you Forget to do those little ordinary things that everyone ought to do.